broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. It is the third Tuesday, which means, or fourth Tuesday, rather, we have the Cobb County Chamber of Commerce with us today. Amy Selby, the first person I met at the Cobb County Chamber of Commerce when I stopped by there a few months back to introduce myself. And this is one of the first opportunities you've had to actually join us in the studio. So thanks for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun getting to know members of the chamber as we've gotten started here doing this monthly show and uh, and being able to help get the word out about events going on within the Chamber of Commerce. Talk about some of the things that are coming up. I know there's a few events that are worth talking about. Absolutely. We have a ton of networking events coming up. Um, every week we host something a lot of uh, small businesses really enjoy. It's called Business Builders. It's every Tuesday at the Chamber. And I believe it is free to attend, and it's a business book club. And what is so attractive about this program, a lot of um, it can be executives, it can be any type of professional or business owner, they read a leadership book or business book topics, and they talk about them together. And they find that they have professional growth, great um, relationship leads and sales leads, and just business growth through this tight group. We also have our golf tournament coming up September 19th. It's going to be at the Indian Hills um, Golf Club, and we still have foursomes available. Great opportunity to um, treat clients to a day on the links. You get to meet other businesses and chamber leadership. It's always a lot of fun. We also are doing a partnership event for the first time with the Atlanta Regional Commission and the um, RBC, and it's called Onboard Atlanta, and it's at October on October 10th at the Cobb Galleria Center. And we're hosting a regional conversation about uh, transit topics in Metro Atlanta. And we're trying to bring speakers from all over the nation to talk about um, transit-oriented development and also just major major issues uh, facing the Atlanta area, even as attracting millennials to our community and keeping them them here. That'll be worth attending for sure. I mm-hmm. know that Cobb County right now, they've got the, the bus lines and things like that that you can take advantage of. But of course, we don't really have rail and things like that. With the stadium moving to Cobb County, maybe there's going to be some more interest in having some sort of option like that also serving the Cobb County area. There's lots of interest and there's also a lot of positive movement taking place regarding um, the stadium in terms of additional ways to move people around the Cumberland area where SunTrust Park is located, including what's called the Cumberland Circulator. And it'll be a bus and plus there'll be the pedestrian bridge with um, pedestrian and bus capabilities taking you to the stadium. So it's a very exciting time. For the regional that regional discussion around transit, were there particular folks that you were looking for to be joining you at the event? Well, we're working out the agenda right now, but since we're partnering with the ARC and the RBC, we're looking at we're reaching out to all the community improvement districts in the Metro Atlanta area, from Gwinnett, from the airport to North Fulton, all DeKalb, all around, and. Those leaders will probably shape the agenda going forward. But um, since we're partnering with um, the ARC, they host a very signature to them event every year called the Link Trip. And they will, um, it's invitation only, and they host 
probably around 50 executives and take them to a peer market to learn about that particular market. They may go to Seattle, they may go to Denver, and they talk about issues that um, face communities like transit, um, education, economic development, all sorts of um, community issues. And so we wanted to take the concept of Link Trip and bring it to the Atlanta area so more professionals and business leaders could be exposed to what people learn on those trips. Because you come back with a wealth of knowledge. If we can expose that to more people, maybe some more progress progressive movement can happen here. I think that it's strange. I, I think our, our city certainly outgrew its capacity with regards to mass transit. And I think we missed a bit of an opportunity back in a uh, decade or two ago when they really first started to see such significant growth. So it's nice to see turning back towards how can we solve some of these traffic issues? Because clearly that's a big challenge for us here. It is. And I'm, I feel um, excited to be part of that movement and that the Cobb Chamber and the ARC and the RBC are part of making that happen and creating discussion. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that event and we, maybe we'll have to show up and, and do some interviews out there from some of the leaders that are traveling in as well as some of the experts that from the Atlanta area that might be joining that particular event to talk about those things. Great idea. We'll, we'll have to work on that. Okay. So, um, We've got a couple of interesting guests with us today. Are both members of the Chamber of, Chamber of Commerce in Cobb County? Yes, they are. And they're also part of our prestigious list of top 25 small businesses of the year for 2016. And what qualifies you to be part of that top 25 list? Well, we have a pretty rigorous uh, selection and application process. Um, we start for a call for applications at the beginning of the year uh, in January, and then um it's a thorough application covering everything from um, diversity, uh, innovation, business growth, um, and community involvement. Those are just some some of the areas of the application. So uh, once the applications are collected and fill out, we have a um, a separate from the chamber committee that will select the top twenty five, and we have someone from the small business administration plus previous small business winners from the Cobb Chamber membership. Well, we're joined in the studio by Pat Salem. She is a senior manager with IAG Forensics and Valuation, a forensic accounting firm. Thanks for sitting in with us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Congratulations in being included among the top 25 businesses for the Cobb County Chamber of Commerce for the year. And we've also got Sean Quentin from the Georgia Trade School with us as well. Good morning. Good to be here. And I'm looking forward to talking about some opportunities for uh, career paths that folks may not be thinking about that are right here in town and, and don't necessarily require years and years of college to get just to be able to apply. So I'm really looking forward to talking to that, about that. We'll start with ladies first. Pat, talk to us a little bit about your, your, yourself. How did you get into accounting and more particularly forensic accounting? Well, that's an interesting question. I, this is actually a second career for me. I started out as a software developer and did that for many years. But I was always interested in accounting. And one day I was speaking to someone and they told me about forensic accounting. And I thought, that's it. That's that's where I want to go. So I went back to school, got my master's degree, uh, got my CPA license or, or t- sat for the CPA exam and then uh, found IAG Forensics, and they gave me this tremendous opportunity, and I joined them. I've been with them for six years now, 
doing a forensic doing forensic accounting and having a great time. Being in the middle of a, a career path where you're doing software development, you hear about this type of accounting. What was it that that just grabbed you like that? That made you just really go into a whole new path. Well, the thing that's interesting about forensic accounting, you're always doing something new. It's We are not a traditional CPA firm where we're doing taxes and auditing and providing traditional accounting services. We're actually involved in uh, fraud investigations. We do litigation support and evaluation. So every case we work on is different. Typically, a client will come to us and our clients tend to be litigation attorneys because most of our work, we have to expect that it could end up in court um, because we're dealing with um, financial matters, financial disputes. And um, just the the intrigue of the investigations and the, I'm a very detail-oriented person, so I love looking at the numbers and the details and trying to understand what happened to the money. Did anything happen to it? Did money walk out the door that should not have walked out the door? Or did a client have concerns uh, about money leaving where the money really did not walk out the door? So it's every day is something new for us. And so for a firm like IAG, then you're not necessarily that that's all they do. They're not going to be a, a company that you call to do like tax preparation and all of that sort of thing. It's not necessarily full suite accounting. It's really focused on this sort of investigative work. That's correct. Um, some people will ask me in, in uh, January, so are you in busy season? <laughs> yeah. No, we don't have a busy season or our busy season is all the time when clients call, when people are concerned about financial issues, financial disputes. We also um, help in the family law arena. We're involved in people going through divorces, if there are disputes about uh, estates, anything related to financial matters. When you're looking in, in the, the corporate sector, are there a particular type of, or demographic of business that you would be working with, or is it really pretty broad? It's pretty broad. We work with municipalities. If they feel that, you know, maybe they have a staff member who they're concerned that um, money is being mishandled or misappropriated, they may call us in. They may see some warning signs or have some indication that, that something is inappropriate. So they may call us in to go through their financial records to reconstruct their financial records. We'll look at, um, invoices and uh, revenue streams to see, did all the money that should have come in, did it come in? And was it properly recorded? Did all the money that go out, was it for business purposes and appropriately appropriately used? Or did it go into someone's someone else's bank account where it should not have gone? So we'll work with municipalities, schools, um, nonprofits, um, small companies, large companies, it's just whoever has financial concerns. What would you say the the typical when you run into challenges, you you uncover something that looks amiss. Mm-hmm. Is there a typical set of those things that you usually run into, whether it's misappropriation of funds or accidental, you know, flowed into the wrong wrong channels? What what do you typically find more often than other other problems? Typically, one of the large problems is that an organization may put too much trust in an individual. You may have someone working at the organization. They've been there for years. You trust them implicitly. And so you give them too much power, too much control. They have control over 
the money coming in, they, they, they get the checks that are coming in, they're recording the information in the accounting system, uh, they're perhaps depositing the checks, writing checks for the company, and they have too much control. So perhaps if a check comes in and they're experience pro- experiencing problems, maybe the check doesn't make it into the company's bank account and it goes into their own pocket. We have in the accounting field, we talk about the fraud triangle, and the fraud triangle is three-sided. You have to have the opportunity to take money out. Um, that would be if if you have the ability to write checks and sign checks, well, maybe you'll write a check to yourself. You have to have rationalization. You may be thinking, well, you know what? I'm only paid $20,000, and I think I should be paid $30,000, so if I take an extra $250, they really owe it to me, so I'm not worried about it. Mm-hmm. And you also have to have the pressure. Pressure may be, I just can't pay all my bills. I'm, I just bought a house. I have a new car. I can't pay everything. So, you know, they're not going to miss $250. I need it so I can pay my bills. So when you put too much trust in, in one particular individual and you don't have separation of duties and the appropriate internal controls in place, that's where the problems can begin. I was part of a small company that ended up having that happen where over $100,000 ended up being taken over the course of, I'm not, I'm not sure how long it took her to do it, but sort of the situation that you're describing, you know, small privately owned business and person that handled the, handled the checks um, was- Completely trusted. Yes. And I'm not sure exactly what it was that re- revealed the issue, but then once it was found, then it was like, geez, you know, it's, a lot of the money was gone, obviously. Sometimes we find <laughs> these people never go on vacation because they have to stick around to keep their process moving. If they go on vacation and someone else has to do their job, they may see, why was this check written? And so that's one thing to look at for small business owners. Make sure that your all of your employees take vacation from time to time. Interesting. It's a, it, it's. You wouldn't necessarily think about that, but it, it does make sense. Mm-hmm. Talking with Pat Salem, uh, she's one of the senior managers with IAG Forensics and Valuation, a forensics accounting firm here in the area. And we're learning a little bit about some of the typical spots where folks get into uh, a business and, and end up uh, misappropriating funds or maybe misdirecting it, uh, whether on purpose or otherwise. And when it comes to that small business, I, I, I certainly have a passion about the small to mid-sized business myself. And are there some tips that you can give? Clearly, you talked about make sure everybody goes on vacation. Are there some other things from a process perspective that don't necessarily interfere too heavily with workflow? If you, you, know, you, can't, if you make it too hard to get a check out, well, then obviously that can be problematic. But I mean, do you have some basic tips for what to do for a small business? Yes, it it can be challenging, especially for a small business. If you only have a handful of people working for your company, um, it's it's hard to have the separation of duties and all the internal controls that would typically be recommended. But one thing, we find that a lot of small business owners are experts in their field and they don't necessarily have time or the knowledge for for handling the accounting. One small thing to do is when if you have a, a bookkeeper writing your checks, make sure you're the one who signs the checks, but don't just sign the checks and you know go through the pile and sign them as quickly as possible because you have more important things to do. Make sure you're looking at the backup. Make sure that you understand why, why you're signing the check and that the, um, it's for an appropriate business purpose. Look at your bank statements from time to time. Don't just let your bookkeeper do all the reconciliation. You want to make sure that all the charges 
listed on your bank statement are legitimate. You want to make sure that the revenue that you think should be coming in is coming in. So you just have to pay attention to the bookkeeping and um, keep an eye on it. Don't don't trust anybody implicitly. Otherwise, you may find yourself knocking on our door and it's easier to uh, catch it early than later. Would you say that if, if you have an accounting firm that's handling month to month reporting and and uh, adjudication of processes are is a is a relationship like that typically able to identify this sort of thing or do I need to periodically have a checkup if you will from a company like IAG I don't know if you necessarily need a periodic checkup that could certainly be helpful for you but you still need to you still need to be involved you still need to watch your process with watch your processes and pay attention to your finances. We've seen, even if they're an outside accounting firm, we've seen occasions where uh, money is misappropriated and and mishandled by another accounting firm that you think you should be able to trust. So just because you have that uh, line in the sand does not give you 100% protection. How hard is it to cover up if I'm doing something amiss, how hard is it to 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 make it invisible to people like you? We don't get involved and in, we typically don't get involved until the red flags are going up. So once mm-hmm. we start looking at it, we can go through your bank records, your credit card statements, your your payroll, and we can start seeing the signs what we're in, once we're involved. But um, before we get involved, if someone's not paying attention to their their accounting and their finances, you know, if, if a check comes in and it doesn't go into your bank account, you may not miss it right away. And people may start out small. They may say, well, I just need $250 now. And they go a month or two and notice that the owner is not missing the $250. So, you know, I'll take $500 now and see how that works out if it's if if you detect that it's missing. And so a lot of times we'll see people think, oh, well, I only really only took $5,000, but it turned out they took $50,000 <laughs> because it just grew on them. They always planned on paying it back um, or I'll, I'll get around to it eventually. I'm going to pay it back, but it just gets out of hand. So you really need to stay on top of your, your books. How long does a typical investigation take when you get involved with a with a business? Oh, there's no typical. Every case is different. Um, some, you know, maybe you can get through in a month. Sometimes we may spend six months, eight months. It depends on how big the case is and how how big concerns are, how much information we're looking at. You know, we deal in boxes. We may have, you know, just three binders of information. Some people think that's a lot of information. But to us, you know, a big case might have 10 um, bankers boxes of information. So it really depends on case by case basis how long it's going to take. Talk about the company's involvement with the Cobb County Chamber of Commerce. I know that, you know, they've, they've been members clear that they're on the top 25 list. So they're well regarded in the community. Talk about their involvement with uh, the Cobb County Chamber and, and relationships that may have been spawned through being there and being a part of it. Well, the company of course, wants to be involved in the Cobb Chamber because we want to know our neighbors. We want to know, um, be part of the community and understand what's going on in the community. We want to um, provide services to our neighbors as we can and as it's needed, but we also want to get services from our neighbors and um, help them out when when we need the help. So it's just been a, a good 
relationship all around, beneficial to us, hopefully beneficial to the Cobb Chamber and other members of the Chamber as well. For the small business community, I mean, do, do you do you see particular challenges for them around, you know, issues like this? Is it is it something that is pretty common? I mean, how often would you say that there's a business that's getting experience with somebody diverting funds like this? Is it pretty pretty significant? I don't know if I can say specifically like percentage wise or how any of that happens, but I can say it's enough to keep us in business and we <laughs> we keep getting calls for more concerns. So it it does happen unfortunately too often. When it comes to trying to decide who you know, do I go with IAG or other firms? Are there some particular considerations and questions that the business owner might want to know or ask of the firm if they're if they're talking to ones outside of IAG what what would they want to know when they are getting ready to have a company like that come in and do such an important work well one thing that we do we try to personalize every case we try to each case comes in each case is unique and typically when people come to us it's a, a stressful situation it's not one of their happiest days so we try to personalize it we give the, the our clients our phone numbers if we need to so they can contact us anytime. Um, we, we also have a, a billing model where we push the work down to the highest qualified person at the lowest rate because people have already potentially lost money when they come to us and we don't want it to hurt them any more than it has to. So we try to um, to manage our billing so that we have the most qualified people doing the work at the lowest rate possible. We, but we always have our managers and our partners involved in all of our cases so they understand what's going on, what the concerns are, and make sure we're moving forward in the right direction. Also, we provide expert witness um, services, and um, that's when we will actually go to court and testify about financial matters. Sometimes, I'm not speaking specifically about um expert witnesses who are CPAs or um, experts in the financial field. But sometimes you'll hear maybe on the news, they'll talk about expert witnesses and you'll hear, well, they've testified 200 times and maybe they're paid for their opinion. At IAG, we're not paid for our opinion. We don't advocate for our clients. We just look at the facts. We have findings from the facts and we present the facts as we understand them and our opinions based on the facts. So we we are not there. You can't buy our opinions. I'm sure that that is somewhat unique in certain situations. I'm, I would imagine that many times when I'm acting as an expert witness, I'm really there to basically try to bend towards a certain side or another. And we're not there to advocate for clients. We're there to express opinions based on the facts as we understand them and we see them. If you want more information about IAG Forensics and valuation, you can go to IAGforensics.com. They're on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, Facebook as well. So they're putting out information there for you to be able to uh, get more knowledge about how they might be able to help your business. And we'll certainly tie in with them as well so that you can link to them uh, through the uh, Midtown Business Radio Show Twitter feed and and on the website as well. And a while back, I I... I really enjoy uh, Mike Rowe's shows. Anybody familiar with Mike Rowe? The I'm not. Dirtiest Jobs. Oh, Remember yeah. Remember that show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy that would get in and just do these really terrible jobs and show how, how you know, there, there's people actually doing this kind of work. Well, one of the things about Mike Rowe I, I really like, he's a big advocate about trade schools and vocational training 
One of the big reasons why is because we're constantly looking at what can we do for the folks who maybe don't have access to high levels of education. Maybe they either couldn't afford it or didn't have geographical access, whatever the case may be for them. And he's talking about a host of vocational opportunities in the United States that pay very, very well, that don't require very much in the way of college education. It might be a few days, it might be a few weeks. Or, or a few months possibly, but there are a number of those fields out there that have openings today that pay easily a respectable five figures. And some of them can get into six figure incomes um, without, like I say, a, a long period of training time educationally to, to get there. One of those things, uh, one of those fields was in the field of welding and there's a host of, of different places you can do it. You can do it underwater and in, in, in professional uh, diving on in, in the oil fields, for example, uh, oil fields being one of those big places and, and a host of others. We've got uh, cranes all over Atlanta and they're building a few uh, structures that require folks doing this kind of work. So uh, Sean, thanks for taking some time to talk about the Georgia trade school and this particular trade in general. Happy to be here. Excited to be here actually to spread the word. So what's your own story around welding and and this sort of trade so it's interesting uh like pat mentioned uh this is maybe my third career uh degree is in computer information systems uh did real estate for a while and then actually just stumbled into welding a friend of mine had bought a a school and uh, needed me to help him with the operations and they taught welding and maintenance there i just every chance i got i went to the back and started looking at the welding and doing it when i had the opportunity and just as I learned more about it, I fell in love and just kind of ran from there. That was in 2008 or 2007, actually. We'll talk about the, the, the Georgia trade school you were talking about before we went on the air that it's somewhat unique in its approach and, and what it's trying to achieve. Yeah. So we opened the school in 2012 and uh, kind of an interesting time uh, with just the economy was in, still in tough shape and maybe on the early stages of recovery. We had this idea, and, and Ryan Blythe and I worked at this other school. It survived mainly on government grants and things of that nature. Uh, it, and it was a 20-year school. It was kind of dying on the vine. You know, it's just, unfortunately, it's just one of those things where it's just at the end of its life cycle. And um, and Ryan and I couldn't do anything to save it. You know, the owner was not present, frankly. And from there, you know, the school closed, and, and we were kind of left with a decision of well what's what's next you know for both of us and uh he and his wife had talked about opening a school and and taking the leap and and really just started from that and they put a lot of trust in me to to get it done so you know that's that's kind of like the early stages of the story and how we got into it uh i could have never dreamed we'd be where we are after just four years i know welding is a component are there other vocations that are trained there at the school as well or is it really focus on welding yeah it's uh, just welding uh we we found that you know we're gonna stay with what we know and what we're good at and uh fortunately we have um elaine waters our senior welding instructor uh she actually worked at the school that we previously worked at so we were able to bring her with us and she's been in the teaching longer than i'd probably have been alive the woman's 67 years old i probably shouldn't say that out loud but uh, to her credit, she uh, gets along like any one of us. Uh, she's out there in the shop every day, still teaching. Um, and in fact, this year she was nominated Teacher of the Year. So she is everything radiates from her. That's that's really how we were able to get this done. 
and the fact that myself, Elaine, and Joanna, uh, it's perfect overlap. It's one of those rare things in business where we have um, very unique skills. Uh, and But you know, there's enough overlap with what we do to where we understand each other, and it's a lot of synchronicity. Talk about the the job market for welding, because as I mentioned, there's a number of different things you can do within it, a number of different places where you do the work, uh, different types of projects you can work on. So talk about the, the job market itself. It is insanely vast. I will say it's one of the many things I love about this. Every day is different and the opportunities are all different. You have, like you mentioned, oil and gas, you have production, um, you have uh, structural, obviously stadiums, buildings, things that we're uh, seeing go up here. Uh, you have, say, the Atlanta airport, the expansions there. Uh, we've come across so many companies. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, I, I'm, I'm learning about new things every day, new companies that I didn't know existed. Um, and they're presenting amazing opportunities for our students. Um, just for perspective, I guess when we started, I would tell people the average starting wage would be, you know, 13 to 15. Is that an hourly? Hourly, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, now it is easily 15 to 17 out of the gate. These companies are, there's a lot of competition for good welders and good tradespeople. Well, because I know that that component of, of manufacturing is, is vital. I know, for example, um, when you look at like some of the, the, the space exploration efforts of one of the, one of the recent companies, a private company that was doing it, had some issues around welds that blew up one of their rockets. So it, it's actually very vital work, regardless of where you're doing it, whether it's oil and gas or, or any other application. And, and you can also get into racing that way as well, because they've got all the framing that they have to do inside the cars. Absolutely. I met an instructor uh, from one of the technical colleges two weeks ago who that's where he got his start uh, working for one of the racing companies. Um, obviously, those jobs are very unique, um, but it's certainly, you know, one avenue somebody could take. Uh, and that's, again, speaks to the vastness of, you know, there's many different processes. There's so many different types of metal. You know, there's mild steel, there's aluminum, there's stainless, there's Inconel, titanium, it just runs the gamut. And um, one of the things that I kind of thrive on or it is a good challenge, I guess, is um, people often have a perception that, that welders aren't smart or that's, you know, kind of a thing that they did. It's because manual labor, so there's just that assumption, right? Exactly. And what I have found is there's so many smart people in this industry. You know, it, it's just amazing. And when you get into the technical side of welding, the uh, the physics, the you know chemistry of it, it is intense. Yeah. You know? Well, you have to be somewhat heady about what you're doing because you're working with high power equipment. You're working with large amounts of electricity, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Heat, mm-hmm. all those things. So you can really injure yourself and or other people depending on the environment that you're working in. So you really do have to be on top of. You're not just somebody that's you know sticking two pieces of metal together. Yeah, it's one of the main things we impress upon our students is is safety course um you know making sure that they understand the gravity of what they're working with and and the implications not just in the implementation of the work but certainly um you know taking the approach to their work that whatever you're building welding constructing could be something that somebody's life depends on you know so even if it isn't something like that you should always weld like it is are there 
uh, with the school here at Georgia Trade School, are you able to cover, I guess, all of those types of applications? You mentioned the, all, all the variety of metals that you might encounter and situations. Do you cover those that broadly so that the students, when they leave, have a wide choice of where they want to go? Yeah, what we do, um, you know, there's it's easy to try and bite off more than you can chew. And, and what I've found in this industry is people always talk about what, what they do. Hey, do y'all teach that? Do you do this? I'm not going to chase everything out there because I can't. There's way too many different things to learn. What we do is focus on the fundamentals. And honestly, what I always tell my students, what our approach is, is is I'm not training welders. I'm training workers who happen to be great welders because that's really what it's about. You may weld 30% of the time on your job. Uh, you know, So the idea is to make them understand that it's going to be way more than that. If it's sweeping, if it's constructing something, using power tools and other forms, do that. You know, I mean, you're getting paid either way. So you should seize the opportunity to get the job done and do your best work. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Now, are there particular zones within the arena of, of welding as a career that are particularly high in demand right now for skilled welders, even if they're relatively new out of school? You know, there's uh, fluctuations in need. Uh, we're seeing a drop in oil and gas mm-hmm. uh, just for obvious reasons. And so therefore, you don't see as many of the uh, pipeline type stuff, but that'll come back. I mean, usually those declines are six months, no more than a year. The main thing that we see, and one of the great things about being in this area is the diversity of work. We cover the fundamentals and we cover them very well. Uh, and then what we try to do is uh, figure out what the student is going to be best at, you know, and that could be uh, production work, say building something for Caterpillar where they're, you know, working in a, in a shop every day and they have a station, or it could be where a student is better. They want to walk beams and, and build stadiums and buildings. So we try and focus our attention on, on what is best for the individual. Are there any sort of advanced types of training that I can get there? Or you really focus on that new student who's just entering in the workforce? Yeah, we actually, uh, we have outside companies that will uh, pay for hours to send their people for advanced training. And one of the things that uh, I challenge our instructors to do uh, and prepare for is I want to be able to teach, at least teach somebody coming in something, of course, you know, and and just always advancing themselves because there is so much to learn. So yeah, we, we really try and focus on doing advanced processes and really understanding them and being able to teach them. Um, one of the things I have learned about this is, is a good welder doesn't necessarily make a good teacher. Um, so trying to walk that line and, and fortunately right now we've dialed it in, we have some amazing instructors and, and so, yeah, we do offer those, those opportunities for people to come in and train on advanced processes. For that new person that's just entering the trade, is there some advice that you have as far as things to contemplate for advancing their career, advancing their skill set, advancing their knowledge to where maybe they are able to rise to higher levels of responsibility, whether that's leadership or more complicated work? Are there particular types of certifications or training that you recommend someone starts kind of thinking about planning for down the road as they get started? Well, I always try and impress upon students the importance of planning, you know, because a lot of times people are just kind of floating through life, letting things happen. And, and then they wonder why they didn't work out the way they thought they would. Well, you didn't have a plan, of course. Um, I come from a unique background where I didn't go to college till I was 27. 
And uh, I knew when, out of high school that, that I, if I had followed my peers, I would have gone to community college and probably done, you know, mediocre at best. You know, I was chasing girls and hanging with my friends. Um, I, I moved out, out of my house. I went directly to work. And it's one of the things that I've always had is work and work ethic and trying to improve myself. Uh, when I did finally go to college, uh, I excelled. I, I did. I was frankly very surprised at, at my performance. You know, I'm looking at my grades thinking, mm, I think I got the wrong one. Um, <laughs> you know, it, when you know what you want to do, and then when you've had some life experience to, to kind of right. carry you through that, uh, it makes a tremendous difference. So one of the things I'm always trying to get them to do is think about and picture what they want from life. You know, what really is important? You know, is it buying a house? Is it family? Is it traveling? <clears throat> you know, and, and start to dial in those things. But it's really kind of looking at their core. You know, a lot of what, what my job function is, is, is a psychology job, if anything, dialing in their personalities and because everybody's different. <laughs> we talked about the fact that the Georgia Trade School is one of the top 25 businesses for the Cobb County Chamber of Commerce this year. Uh, I would assume that means that you've been somewhat involved with the chamber over the you know recent past since the school got started. It, it would... I would expect that maybe you're making some business relationships there where some of those uh, Cobb County area businesses are coming to you for folks who can meet some of the needs that you're talking about. Absolutely. We've been very fortunate, especially in Cobb County with um, local fabrication companies, even big companies, Lockheed Martin uh, and subcontractors for Lockheed Martin have um, hired our students. Of course, like I mentioned, we have people in the stadium. The chamber is an excellent resource for us for networking. I mean, that's just, it's an essential factor in any business is you have to network and you have to uh, learn what other companies do. Uh, just even talking with Pat here about forensic accounting, hopefully we'll never need that, you know, but, um, you know, it's funny just I have so much respect for what she does uh, just because I share the accounting duties at our school. But also I am probably the, I guess the model for the person that would uh, be under investigation, I guess, because of the trust that I have. Not to worry, Ryan and Joanna. <laughs> um, so we'll never need Pat on that level. But uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's great to learn about new companies, new opportunities, and then share with them what you know their successes and 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 lessons that they've learned. I think it's essential. What do I need to be able to apply as a student to to go through your courses? Do I just need a high school degree? Do I need some Pre-course work? GD, high school diploma is fine. Uh, one of the things that I've also realized, uh, and maybe again, this speaks to my background, is uh, a lot of students, you know, school is is obviously made for the masses, the, the public school system, and it's just is what it is. It's not a criticism. It's just how it has to be. Uh, unfortunately, with they've taken away a lot of the trades and things like that. And I think students get lost in that mix. And so there's a maybe a feeling of dejection, maybe that they're not smart. Uh, often what I found and, and my assertion, I guess, uh, at this point is that probably 75% of the students come through my school are college capable. And uh, once you dial in what what they gravitate towards, what they feel good at, you can help them develop the other part of it. I think probably the biggest challenge that I see is that people don't know how to study. They don't understand or they haven't learned how to study and how to learn. It's an interesting concept. You know, we just hand them books and say, do this, but it has to be more interactive and, and people have to learn how to focus and retain. So that's, that's one of the elements that, that we bring to it. Um, as far as, 
you know, of course, you know, ability to pay. And then maybe the biggest part is heart. You got to want to do it. How long does the <clears throat> the program take to go through? We are, it's 500 hours. Uh, we offer two different, uh, we have three different classes. Two are part-time, one is full-time. Uh, full-time class is three and a half months. The part-time classes are both six months. Uh, so it's, it's highly focused, quick training, um, not to be... Um, you know, reduced it, it, we're not leaving anything out. It's, it's very comprehensive and, and very intensive, but yeah, I mean, they get through relatively quickly and they're out working. Um, I think the cool model for us is if you have students that are working say in fast food places or, or jobs where maybe they're making minimum wage or $8 an hour, three and a half to six months with hard work, of course, they can turn around and make 15 to, I mean, we've had people make as high as 30, 35 an hour out of the gate. That's pretty impressive. Does the school have resources that help me link up with potential business prospects? Absolutely. And the, again, this speaks to the cop chamber and, and our efforts. Uh, is, uh, yeah, we don't want to just train people and, and send them out on their own. We've made an effort to get with companies and find out what they need. Every company is going to be different. So I want to know if, if a fabricate, fabrication company needs uh, somebody who's good at fabrication and say the MIG welding process I'm going to send that person. I'm going to, you know, send them exactly who they need. I'm not going to dump a bunch of resumes on them that, you know, may or may not be a good fit for them. So Sean has touched on a really important initiative that the chambers launched this past year. And the Georgia trade school may be one of our partners. It's uh, we have a workforce development partnership. Um, Our governor, Nathan deal has a high demand career initiative focus And we have um, worked with the same consultants that have made the statewide program to bring it to Cobb County on a micro level. And it includes uh, just backing up what what you've just said, working with businesses of all different industry types to know what job skills are needed and then bridging the gap with the um, educational institutions to have that curriculum in the schools. And it's, it's really true. It doesn't, um, student success and career success does not equate to a four year degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've, we've already gone there and covered it, but, um, one of the biggest things to come out of this initiative we've been working on, we've had a, a lot of dialogue between industry and education. And as a sidebar, um, Cobb is a really uh, neat place to launch this high demand career initiative because we have um, two great school systems, uh, high performing school systems in the state. I think the third largest public school system with Cobb County Public School District. Then we have Marietta City Schools. Plus, we have Kennesaw State University, which is a huge public uh, state school. We have Life University, we have Georgia Trade School, we have DeVry, we have Chattahoochee Tech as well. So we have these major um, educational assets, but then we also have um, these major corporate brands, Mm -hmm. everything from the Weather Channel to Manhattan Associates, there's Racetrack, and the Atlanta Braves are now calling Cobb home. We've been able to take these two people, two, you know, halves, start dialogue. And one of the things that has come out of this um, is the need for a uh, career college and career academy. 
and we're hoping it'll come through the Cobb County Public School District. And that academy, students will learn how to weld or how to become nurses for Wellstar and train right there and have a vocation and a career path right out of high school. I think that having that sort of access to opportunities and it, it, you're, when you're a kid, you're just trying to pick, you you're kind of throwing a dart and seeing what you hit to, to choose your career, to be able to be exposed to those folks firsthand and some of the work that they do, I'm sure will help a lot of those students have a little bit more direction when they come out. Absolutely. And um, both school systems are doing innovative things and including they're starting to assess uh, student skill set and talent areas to start um, putting the student on that path earlier. And then also on the other side of the coin is having businesses start to court these students as students early in their education career, not just high school, middle schoolers, to explain what you can do at Lockheed, what you can do um, in construction, all of this. And the demand for talent is one of the top um, considerations for site selection and economic development, companies want to come to where they can find the talented workforce. And folks like the Georgia Trade School are producing talented welders for all different types of industries. So that's important to us. Talk about where folks can go to get more information about the Georgia Trade School. Uh, certainly our website. Uh, we have a Facebook page. The website is is great for informational elements. Uh, Facebook page, I think, talk, speaks more to our culture. And the culture, you know, the culture that we have is a big aspect of it. I know all my students, my instructors know all their students. It's, you know, that's an important element is, is really understanding the individual and working with them while they're there and, and, you know, working to their needs. You know, just speaking of what you said about the high schools and things like that, I think that the high schools are, are trying and, and they're doing a great job. And it's a tough, tough thing because the funding isn't always there to implement these programs uh, and then the resources as far as teaching aren't always there. You can't, uh, you can't have an expectation in high school that you're going to train somebody to be work ready. Right. You know, I mean, that it has to be a building block to something else, to technical colleges, to us, to whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, once we take away that element and just let them focus on learning and exposing them to different opportunities, it'll work itself out. They'll find their way. Um, that's, that's the key thing, but that's really what the initiative should be. And, uh, you know, any way we can contribute to that, we will. My other thing is, um, this is just a personal thing for me. I want more value to be placed on this career path. It's shocking to me how many, how, how many, um, high school curriculums are eliminating home economics right? and some of the vocational programs. Yes. Yes. Because to me, that just communicates it's not as valuable and that's just not, Correct. It's I remember when I was valuable. in high school, the, one of the parts of the vocational school was they, they built a house every year. So, so high school students were the, were the carpenters, and they actually built a house every year that, the, that, they, that they sold. So That's you could amazing. come out of high school being a, a very competent, work-ready carpenter. So having access to vocational training like this is, is I think, extremely valuable. A lot of folks assume that you have to go and get a, a two or four or more year degree in, in a post high school setting to be able to get a, a good paying job and a good career. But clearly that is not the case. There are a number of vocations in welding being one. And we have access to a program here that is focused on bringing you to, out to be ready to go straight into a, a job in, a, in four or five months. 
from the time you start. That's that's pretty awesome. And as as Sean was sharing, you can earn a pretty good living straight out of the blocks as a basically a high school graduate or or a GED holder who goes through this training. You can get into that thirty thousand dollar a year range, and and that's straight out of out of school. So mm-hmm. yep, uh, it's all up from there. So uh, make sure you get educated. GeorgiaTradeSchool.com. Um, if you need more information about the uh, Cobb County Chamber, that's CobbChamber.org. You can go to the calendar there, see all of the events coming up for the Cobb Chamber, including their networking opportunities, as well as some educational uh, things that they do for their members and even for non-members in the business community around the uh, Cobb County area, as well as into the metro surrounding. So, uh, we hope you check that out. And it's been a lot of fun for me to be partnered with the Cobb County Chamber of Commerce. I live in Cobb County. Yeah. So if you've not done so already, in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Midtown Business Radio Show podcast lives. Make sure you subscribe to us. That way, each week when the new episode comes out, you'll be it'll be right there on your device, ready for you to listen to when it's convenient for you. We hope you turn around and share this information with LinkedIn and other social media channels. All you got to do is click share. It's real s- simple. You might just be putting some information in the hands of somebody that you care about that makes a big difference in their business or in their personal life. So we'll say thanks in advance to all the folks that go to the effort of clicking share for us uh, as well. And to our guests, Sean and Pat, thanks so much for, for being here. And Amy, being here with us in the studio today. It was a treat to get to meet you and talk about the work that you all are doing for the community at large. And uh, I look forward to having you all back next month. Yes. Everybody out there who made us part of their day today, want to say thanks so much. We appreciate you. We look forward to catching up with you same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.